0: Welcome to the May Contain Wine Podcast, brought to you by Wine, Women, and Wellbeing. I'm your host, Lisa Webb, and together we're going to get to know incredible women doing all kinds of interesting things. So grab a glass and get ready to be inspired by the amazing women in our global community. Hello everyone, today I'm talking with Chelsea Gouchy. She is the co-owner and co-creator of Not That Funny Gaming, the director of communications for hashtag make it awkward, and an activist doing big things and making waves towards the changes we really need to see right now. I was honored to have such an open, real and raw conversation with Chelsea and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hello, Chelsea, how are
1: you? Hi, Lisa. I'm doing very well today. How are you doing?
0: Good. Thanks. Thanks for being here with us today. I'm so excited to chat with you because I know what you're doing and I know kind of what you're all about, but I don't know it firsthand from you. So this is very exciting. Um, Let's start by, can you just tell us your story and how you came to be an activist for indigenous and marginalized people?
1: Yes, perfect. Thank you, Lisa, for allowing me, first of all, your platform to even share my voice, share my experience. Um, oftentimes people um, have a false idea of maybe an Indigenous identity and what that means or make it awkward as a movement. So thank you. Um, yes, I am an Indigenous uh, woman. I am um, definitely de- uh, have experienced um, discrimination in life. So that was kind of the catalyst behind my uh, curiosity uh, and interest growing up uh, that started very early on I knew that there was something wrong just even how some of my classmates who looked different in the sense of how society viewed them but obviously I empathize very much because I have felt different um, my entire life but that difference has made me um, stronger and who I am today and why I do the things that I uh, do um, and why now I'm a part of this uh, entire movement, this Make It Awkward movement that I'm so proud uh, to now be the Director of Communications for, to have such a platform of over 12,000 people who listen to me and my ideas and um, my thoughts on how we need to create change and uh, of course rep- trying to represent the marginalized community really um, as best as I can of what we need um Yeah, so I hope that answers a little bit about my story and who I am.
0: It does. So for people who don't know, um, what is Make It Awkward?
1: Yeah, um, Make It Awkward, people have the assumption that it it was just based off of that one racist incident that happened to that one Black man in Edmonton, and that sparked this... um, immediate uh, crisis for people and wanting to uh, make a change. But really what it was about was, uh, it happened to be Jesse Lipscomb, who happens to be a very good friend of mine and now business partner and the co-founder. But really it was the story of another black man um, trying to navigate his way of life, uh, trying to feel safe for a moment. And it was a very good example uh, of how you can never actually feel safe when you are different, when you are marginalized in any way. I will never use the profanity that um, these white uh, men who were passing by Jesse at the time uh, used direct him, but I cannot imagine the amount of pain that that would have caused in Jesse and and his reaction to want to better understand why these individuals would say the things that they would say, and do you really understand the impact that had in not just on me, on what you're doing as um, a society to influence white supremacy, to influence uh, discrimination. So as much as um, some people think that, you know, it was a Jesse Lipscomb, this one-off thing that happened in, in our city, and people are appalled that it happened in our own ban- backyard, make it awkward. Really, it started <laughs> centuries ago. Um, this People are late to the game showing up. So... Uh, that's what it's about. It's fighting any form of discrimination and it's also having a community of people who uh, do want to fight towards social justice and uh, yeah to feel safe.
0: Right and so this has been a momentous year for change and what positive changes have you so we're taking this situation that happened Mm -hmm. um, we're taking a negative negative. And how have you seen positive things happen from that and yes. positive changes around you?
1: It's interesting hearing the question because uh, I automatically think of um, people who like to defend saying, but look how far we've come. And if that was my impulse reaction in that moment was uh, we still aren't talking and caring about the things even today. But That discredits all of the work that people have done in the past. That discredits uh, (laughs) a lot of queer uh, Black women, for example, that had to fight for their right to um, love the people who they love. Uh, So I don't want to discredit that um, because we have come a long way. Uh, And unfortunately, at the cost of another Black man uh, who never meant to have his image shared uh, everywhere internationally, but at the cost of George Floyd being lynched, Um, And also, unfortunately, if I'm going to refer to COVID in any form of um, advantage, we we had... Uh, a time where people wanted to care because they had that thing that they didn't want to see but they watched and that horrified some people and they didn't have the time to focus on the work and everything else and go outside and you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and do the hugging and the things that they would normally do Mm -hmm. so they thought you know this is wrong what can I do and a lot of people stepped up and that's been amazing to see this last year. And sometimes I'm hard on people for not stepping up, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for the people who do and who are um, making changes happen very quickly.
0: Yes. So you had an online rally and you raised thousands of dollars through a silent auction. So first, <laughs> congratulations to you and thank you for what you do. And I want to talk a little bit about what is unique about how you used that money and is like what, well, what's unique is the educate part. So talk to us about the money that you raised and what you did with that money.
1: Yeah, no, of course. And talk to us about Uh, the
0: rally too. talk to us about the whole, walk us through the whole scene.
1: Of course, you no. Know, I'll give you the whole experience, uh, Lisa. So we're on the same page because I want to know what rally maybe uh, that I hope you've I hope you've seen because it was really <laughs> amazing. The revolution will not be quarantined was the one that I was heavily involved with and um, our uh, last make it awkward summit. But uh, the one that I wasn't um, participating in in the sense that I wasn't involved in make it awkward was a digital rally uh, last year that, uh, followed the racial reckoning of, uh, George Floyd, um, and that one, yeah, that one was over YouTube, and that one, uh, it wasn't about funds, that one was more about awareness, okay, um, yeah, but regarding the revolution, yes. we'll not Sorry. yeah, no, yes. no, that's okay, no, just, uh, hearing digital rally, and like, oh, but we have, we have a couple, <laughs> we
0: have you're a few. like, I'm <laughs> all about all the rallies, Let's yeah, talk <laughs> Let's talk in general, um, yeah what this space is doing, creating, bringing awareness and, and also, um, the scholarships. So I want to kind of lead into yes, that.
1: No, absolutely. No. And, and that is absolutely what I'm proud of because, uh, that was my first experience really diving into something that I knew about in the sense of, uh, yeah, I can talk about my life experience. I can educate people, but that was my first, uh, speaking opportunity as well. Actually that, uh, particular summit, that was me for the first time. Um, disclosing a lot of information about myself uh, that I wouldn't normally and sharing uh, part of my story uh, for the very first time. So that meant a lot to me in that sense. It was also very empowering because that was my first um, real responsibility I felt professionally that I had that mattered to me so much more at a personal level. I've worked sales before, I've worked um, many different jobs before. Uh, This nothing is meant... Uh, more to me than in that time to prevent, or sorry, to uh, have the best possible summit. And I think we, yeah, did a really good job by representing many different uh, walks of life. We we put in the effort to make sure we had different uh, gender identities, uh, different sexual orientations, different uh, races, um, just people, and within that, even people uh, making sure that people were uh, understood, sorry, that we aren't a monolith, that my story as an Indigenous woman is going to be very different than uh, Ashley Collingwell, for example, who is another missing Indigenous woman, than Stephanie Harp, who was the uh, Uh, co-host. Our stories are very, very different, Mm -hmm. um, but each one uh, should be told, I think. (laughs) Um, So that was it was a very good learning environment for me. And it was a very good opportunity for growth that, um, I didn't expect actually as a result, but it happened. I'm so thankful that it did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk to us about not that funny? What Uh, is this? Um, can you explain, well explain what it is and, and how it happened, how it came to be?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, Lisa, just for my own peace of mind, I do want to say, of course, I'm very proud of the scholarship as well, that we were able <laughs> just to completely answer yes. no, your your question, because that is important and that'll be in the forefront of my mind. <laughs> uh, we were also able to uh, r- um, raise funds uh, through yeah, silent auction donations. A lot of that money, uh, just so you know, it really did get paid to the speakers because that's important that mm-hmm. we are not expecting uh, people to do the work for free to share uh in many times very traumatic experiences for free that takes emotional labor so we wanted to make right. sure that our speakers were getting paid uh, paid a fair rate uh, to put on a summit and make it um as powerful as, as we wanted uh to have happen we, there were some marketing costs there were some other you of know um, audio costs things like that uh, and then the scholarship comes into play because uh we did manage to raise some a little bit of extra money that we were uh, happily able to create and make it all um and that's directly related with uh Grant McEwen University so it's actually called a compassionate collaborative and inclusion leadership anti-racism uh, capacity building um, course so it's meant for uh, specifically BIPOC uh, individuals somebody who identifies sorry as a BIPOC uh, individual and um yeah to better them in their walks of life for sure so Uh, And that's been going really great too. Jesse, I know has done a number of uh, check-ins and um, actual uh, speeches and educational tools for them as well. So we're following them throughout this process as well.
0: That's incredible. And it must feel so good to be doing such heart-centered work. Like how you said, this is the first time where you feel like your work, like you're so passionate about what you're doing. Yeah, I think that just speaks to really being in the right place.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's hard to feel the amount of, um, uh, empathy that I have to want to help so many people but it is uh satisfying in a sense to be able to actually know that these two students specifically who really did deserve uh this bursary um now I'm able to see the incredible results that they are now accomplishing in their life because of it
0: that's incredible congratulations
1: thank you thank you so much and now I'm ready to talk about not that funny (laughs) yes
0: let's talk about not that funny when did you have this like where did first let's talk i I'm like I don't know what, where to go first, because I want to know where the idea came from, but I also want people to know what it is. So maybe first tell us about what it is, and then we'll talk about how it happened.
1: Okay. So uh, what we like to say would be not that funny is a tabletop uh, game designed to really change the world. Um, It's a... um, Sorry, it's a very simple game, but with complex implications. So what that means is we are uh, doing it in the format of Cards Against Humanity, but almost think uh, about everything that went wrong with Cards Against Humanity (laughs) in terms of insensitivities, in terms of slurs that really need to be actually deleted out of our lexicon at this point. I think we're better than that as people. and I understand the humor aspect of cards against humanity. And I'm, I actually don't mean to be bashing them because I've been guilty of playing that game. Yes. But it was an awkward laugh that I would always give because I knew I knew of course, in my heart, I feel like a lot of people do know it's not that funny. Mm -hmm. Um, And how cool was that? (laughs) That that in itself became a concept. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I appreciate you asking where the idea came from. Um, A lot of the, elements of the actual game and even some of the specific roles was very much a Jesse thing and even some of his humor you can I think you can uh, if you know anything about Jesse Lipscomb then you can tell maybe some of uh, <laughs> some of the influences that he had but the actual idea of a game was uh from me and it was very well thought out and why I say that is because um if you don't know uh you would think that this is a um making light of very, very serious issues. And the way that we presented it, of course, it's not about that. We go the step further uh, to educate and to call it out and to say, no, actually, that's not okay, but we're gonna teach you why. And we're even gonna prepare you for when you hear that or when you might be in that situation and you might not know what to do, but now you do because we've given you that tool. So we hope that you use it. If you choose not to, that's okay too in a way because you're still gonna think about it and maybe you're nervous, but maybe you'll do it the next time and that's good. At least you have that knowledge. Um, but the idea itself, it, it was me being very fascinated with um maybe fasc- fascinated with empathy, I guess, as a um, as a concept, just because I saw it as a puzzle, I saw it as a problem. Um a very large problem obviously that needed to be solved ideally uh you know i'd wake up tomorrow and we don't even have races that exist we don't even have genders that exist we go back to indigenous ways of thinking really where we just have that connection with the land and we want to help support other human beings because we are human beings Mm -hmm. unfortunately we're not in that world and it's important and it is important to talk about labels because without identifying as an Indigenous woman, if I go missing, then I'm not labeled as a missing Indigenous woman. Most likely I don't even get talked about. I might get talked about because I have white passing privilege, but I still might not be in that statistic. And that's important that that gets tracked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But I knew that humor could actually be a very effective way of teaching somebody. And why I knew that was because if students are thinking about going to school and they think about their favorite teacher and uh, what made them that favorite teacher, not all the time, but oftentimes they have some um, form of humor. Of course, within that, they also have some, some form of empathy, some form of care, some form of um, something that they saw in you as a student that maybe that student wasn't getting from other teachers, but they mm-hmm. made the time to make you feel um, like you mattered. So, But where the, (laughs) back to the humor, it is, sorry, still important because there have been studies showing that classroom attendance goes up. You are more likely to enroll for your next class with the same teacher who uses humor as a a teaching style. You're more likely to retain that knowledge and um, be motivated to even learn more, to dive deeper into these subjects. Of course, we're not actually talking about uh, anything related to school in terms of chemistry. We're talking about real lives that, um, are unfortunately being taken away or missing at a far too, at a rate that should never be happening. But I thought that it was a solution potentially to a problem. And I thought that it was a unique way of approaching something that I didn't think, um, had been done before and not, especially in the way that I wanted to do it, that I knew that Jesse and I could do together in a very effective way. Um, so it was well thought out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, what is it? What can we expect if we're going to play this game? How does it work? And yes, <laughs> and where do those lessons, like, well, maybe when you explain to us how it works, that'll be obvious. But how does it work? And and where do we find the takeaway?
1: Yeah. So, um, somebody's actually playing the up to rules. Me this. Yeah. No. Of course. No. It was just interesting that somebody brought up to me that really you could just read this game by yourself and learn so much. But we have the intention to be. Uh, to have it be an actual gameplay situation, you're gonna need at least uh, three people. Um, You're given 500 cards of uh, either situations that you could potentially be in. So a reader is going to uh, draw a card. Um, It's going to be the shortest player, I believe that goes uh, (laughs) first, you know, they read a situation card, uh, everybody else is, or sorry, everyone is dealt um, seven cards. sorry, initially, and then they're going to give a response to a situation that uh, they feel like is the best, Um, that they feel like the reader is going to say, yes, I like that one. Uh, Whether that is funny, whether that is um, an effective way of calling out what might be a microaggression, we don't know, but we have uh, strategically made sure that we label cards either not that funny um, or neutral or actually a good um, solution, sorry, to calling out a microaggression. And we make sure to make sure that, or sorry, we make sure that um, people know why uh, that this would be a good response or why this would be a very harmful uh, way of saying something, leaving an impact that maybe you didn't intend, but it did leave that impact. And so be aware of it and understand the reason why.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's really bringing light to things that we might not, that we might just let slide in other
1: Correct, because they might actually be with microaggressions. Oftentimes, uh, good people saying things they are not even aware um, that what they are saying is wrong. Or it would be a situation that you see something and you don't know or you you don't notice that a white woman happens to be holding her purse a lot closer uh, to her body, clutching it while passing a black man on the street, for example. Uh, she might not even be aware that she's doing it, to be fair, but um, I think that uh, that's important to recognize in yourself and to mm-hmm. pull that out and to adjust your way of thinking. I'm not blaming you for having that thought, but there is a way to correct your actual action.
0: How do you hope that um, this game is going to change the conversations around racism, sexuality, and just in society, like what is, what is your hope?
1: Um, My hope is this game offers people uh, the tools to call people out, but I think most importantly, a better understanding of empathy. And when I say that, I hope that people recognize that empathy is a skill and is hard. It is draining to (laughs) practice empathy and to practice it well. And right now, actually, I'm at the point where uh, I wouldn't consider myself somebody who does it perfect, because sometimes I get too flooded with feeling somebody's pain. And uh, that is something that I need to uh, work at every single thought, really, that I have in a day, every judgment that I may have, every bias uh, that I might have. Um, but I want people to understand that even though you had the intention of not hurting a person. And I believe you when you say that, and I even understand how that mistake could have happened, but that doesn't matter. You had an impact that hurt somebody you potentially care about, such as your partner, such as your friend, such as your colleague, somebody who you respect, or just a stranger, another human being. If you have the tool, if you have the understanding to know that that is going to leave, An impact um, now that it's hurtful and now you've been educated and you still do the thing, okay, that's another conversation. But I actually do believe that most people, they don't wanna cause harm. They don't wanna say things that are gonna hurt others. Mm -hmm. Um, So really I want people, it's an awareness game as well. It's it's a learning game, of course.
0: (laughs) Yeah, 100% awareness, absolutely. How are you using your platform to help encourage indigenous women to have a voice?
1: Yeah. this uh again this one was uh difficult in the sense not for um this question hits me because there's a huge issue of there not being that many voices of indigenous women to begin with and i could talk to you for an hour-long podcast at least (laughs) about why that exists i won't get into that because uh that wasn't the point of the question because with (laughs) all of no but actually in saying that with all of my heart i The um, missing and murdered Indigenous women, I do try to put that in the forefront of a lot of my Indigenous um, activism in the the issues that I do uh, choose to talk about, focus on more. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I do like to amplify um, the Indigenous women voices who do have experiences that I don't necessarily have. I don't have, um, (laughs) I don't even know who my biological... um, some of my ancestors are because I don't have that knowledge because, um, <laughs> because of very unfortunate uh, parts of history, but there are, are others with very different stories and their stories need to get amplified as well. Um, so I try to do that and I try to create as best of a safe learning environment and sharing environment um, for that person to have her voice uh, heard, but also it's very important that people um, listen to her voice first before they jump in with their opinion, before they jump in with the action they immediately want to take to solve the big issue that we've all, that us as Indigenous women, we've been working at for a while to have our voice. Um, but right now it's important to listen to us first to, um, yeah, to solve, to, to, to solve this issue. Yes.
0: Like we, we touched on this earlier, how this year has been a huge year for change. It's mm-hmm. been a year where people are accepting that maybe we don't know everything and we are trying to get it right mm-hmm. um so I want to know what would you say to someone who so very much wants to get it right mm-hmm. but is sometimes afraid to speak because they're going to get it wrong yeah <laughs> and how do we navigate that
1: Uh, I don't know if this makes it better or worse, but I would say that uh, I've been that person. I've been that person many times and it doesn't matter that I'm a disabled person. Um, I've had that I'm a woman, that I'm indigenous, that I'm a different sexuality than people consider to be normal. I've had hurtful things said to me, but um, I have still made so many errors in my ways. And I've learned so much even in the process of making this game. I never um, would naively make the claim that I knew everything, because that in itself, you know, <laughs> I you can't you can't know everything about anything. But I'm trying. I have a desperate need to um, learn very fast and learn uh, the language that is appropriate that we use and things like that. So I understand the feeling of being overwhelmed and not wanting to say the wrong thing that could cause further impact. But the advice that I would give anybody who is um, in that struggle is there is a community that we are just so thankful that you're committed to the fight to begin with, and we are begging you to use your voice. And in a way, we expect you to make mistakes, to get it wrong. Um, I'm gonna approach that conversation with you with so much more compassion and empathy than I normally would have if you didn't say the thing to begin, or if you said nothing. Because to (laughs) me, that means you didn't care. You didn't care enough about me to, have a voice. And of course, that speaks for um, you didn't care enough about my community, like to, you know, say that no, it's not okay. um, You know, to have a stereotype of an indigenous woman being promiscuous, for example. Um, So I get it. But we are so appreciative when you do speak up, and we're eager to help you learn we are um, within reason, sometimes we won't be in the right mind space, because it is emotionally hard to teach sometimes but uh, Mm -hmm. I will get back to you when I can. And I will, I will help you navigate these difficult conversations. Um, But my only ask really that I have is that you try because that means the world.
0: You might, you might've answered my next question because (laughs) I think trying is huge. And in, in trying, even if we get it wrong the first time, Mm -hmm. the effort is there where we can make the steps towards getting it right and it's a learning mm-hmm. curve and it might not happen instantly and we might say the wrong thing misstep on our way to the right path but it's better i think to misstep on our way to the right path than not to take any step or take it go in the wrong direction right yes
1: no correct and uh lisa and i and i should say that um along with the feeling well the overwhelming feelings we have a bunch of people who are um, experiencing a heightened level of empathy in a way for the very first time in a different sense, and this goes back, of course, to um, George Floyd, which could have and should have been many individuals, but it just, just so happened that this was caught on camera in that um, in that time. But um, yeah, sorry that it, uh, it, it was a good time. Sorry that uh, this last year, I can empathize with the feeling of um, learning all of these new words, like white fragility, like intersectionality. I mean, you have a lot of feminists who I still consider feminists, but understanding that there's a huge difference between white feminism and intersectional feminism. So even that concept, it is scary and it is overwhelming, but there are still tools that you can do. There's prep work that you can take and there is readings, you know, speeches. We're giving you the tools such as Not That Funny, uh, such as the summits that we do. So uh, when I say yes that you need to try that comes number one I guess my next ask would be that you do take the time after I've educated you on the thing maybe actually go one step further maybe do some own reading maybe talk to some other marginalized folks who might have a different opinion Um, because I try very hard not to speak for everyone but in a way there's not enough people speaking for us so (laughs) Um,
0: and we learn we learn by putting ourselves in sometimes uncomfortable situations. So maybe we need to pay attention to what we're consuming, whether like through our media channels, Mm -hmm. try and consume other things, read different books, join different platforms. And, and if you feel like, oh, this, this is different. Well, you know what? Sometimes different is good and change is good. And, and learning things that maybe you're uncomfortable because you didn't know about them before it's. Yeah. Better than being blind to things.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, not that funny is just one of the examples. Of course, I want you uh, to go get the game right now, you know, <laughs> go to the website, but I do want to make it clear that that is not the only thing that you need to be doing. Uh, this is a unique thing with uh, going back to the humor, the light um, uh, approach that one might think that they're entering. It does, you are entering the conversation. I think I would think with the um, lesser form of anxiety going in Just your body is more relaxed because you're approaching it with okay it's okay laugh i'm not actually saying the racist thing this was a card that i'm just reading um i'm also probably playing with loved ones or friends or maybe a work environment or people who i would hope would allow the grace that uh i might not know what to say but i am here i'm playing the game i want to learn um but in that sense of course it's important to hear the incredible um or sorry, the difficult uh, speeches or the, you know, the other forms of learning, the, uh, whether that be by book or podcast or what have you. But, um, but yes, it, that's definitely important. Different, different ways of approaching a conversation.
0: What have you learned about yourself in the last couple of years on this journey? Has there been any big changes for you?
1: Yeah, yeah, there has been. um <clears throat> Um, a specific card that I'm just thinking of in, the situ- uh, in Not That Funny was very much based on my life. And I had no idea at the time what was happening um, because I re- remember being a very young girl uh, on a public transit and it was busier than normal. And I could not stop making uncontrollable noises out of my mouth. I could not stop um, hitting myself just lightly on the face. I could not stop bashing my head against the window And I was with somebody at the time who very much loved me and um, cared about me. And what they did was they squeezed my hand and they squeezed my hand harder when they noticed that more stares were happening, when they noticed that people were looking at me like I was different. Because at that time I was a distraction. I was being loud. People were trying to just go to work and have a peaceful morning. But um, what I didn't know at the time was that simple action of somebody loving me um, and holding my hand and telling me to relax and to try to breathe that was a microaggression, but I was a young girl. I had no idea what a microaggression was at that time, but I didn't know that somebody could do something uh, with all the intentions in the world of being good and helping you, but it hurt so much in that time because at that time I didn't know that I had Tourette's syndrome. I didn't know what Tourette's syndrome was at that time. Um, I knew that there was something wrong with my body. That's the way that I felt as that young girl. I knew that there was uh, there were looks that I was perceiving, um, Indicating that I w- that I was in the wrong, that I was um, that I was different, and it didn't help that somebody who I wanted to um, support me in that time, I felt like it was just the wrong thing to say. Now, now that I know so much more, <laughs> um, of course I don't put her at fault at all, but I had the confidence uh, largely because of who I am and who I've grown as as a person in these last couple of years. Now I can say. I, I have Tourette syndrome. Oh my goodness, it all makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also what you did to me uh, that time, a decade, a decade and a half ago, it hurt. But I want you to understand why because you didn't mean for that to be hurtful. But what I ask is you don't do that again to another person who might have Tourette syndrome or might just be different in that moment. And that's okay. Um, so I've grown so much in the sense that... <laughs> Never would I ever imagine that I would say that I have Tourette syndrome with any form of a smile on my face, but I'm so much aware of who I am as a person now. And I'm not saying that the disability itself, um, the uh, speech impairments that I sometimes have, the sometimes, and I had a moment um, actually in this podcast where I forgot, I forgot my complete wording, and I always used to call myself a bunch of ableist language that I would never use now. But um, essentially, I was calling myself unintelligent because I did not think that um, I, I had to work so hard in school. I had to read, and that was uh, interesting because I loved reading, but I, I had to go back in certain words and reread the certain phrase. But now I know, now I know that's directly as a result of my Tourette syndrome because. I didn't know that I had a 90% chance of within my Tourette syndrome having um, a condition that I can't read at the same level that other people can. When I'm listening, even though I like to be an active listener, there are some times where I'm focusing on not ticking, not appearing different, not moving my body in a way that I'm so focused on that that I actually misheard or I didn't even comprehend what you said. So I just so I, I'll, I'll apologize for my moment earlier, but so you better understand even the that little experience of panic that I was having. <laughs> that's a very uh, normal thing or for me to have, but I did not know at all at that time that that was um, even a thing, I guess, <laughs> that there's a reason behind some of um, some of my reactions so. That's comforting, and uh, and I am proud, yeah, to say that, but no, like society has made my disability extremely hard. The way that people treat me because of my disability, um, being accessible, it's, uh, it's extremely difficult, but I am proud of my Tourette syndrome, and I'm proud of the person who I've become because of that, of being othered, of being um, forced to be resilient. I don't say that in a positive way because that's my survival mechanism. Um, But it has made me the person that I am today and I am proud of the person that I am today. So that's good.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that with us, for being brave and for using your experiences to help others, because that is some serious heart-centered work that we're not always all brave enough to do. So. (laughs) Thank you for for being so raw and real with us. I appreciate that.
1: No, thank you, Lisa. And I hope anyone listening that did not come easy. I'm 26 years old, and it took a while to get to this point. It is still something I struggle with, but um, but I am trying to appreciate uh, some of these struggles that I have had. and then using that to help others. A yeah, that is my purpose, I think. So, am I
0: Incredible. Home. That's incredible. <laughs> what is next for making it awkward? Make it awkward.
1: Well, um, many things. Some of the things are slightly depending on a on a social distancing rules uh, because <laughs> uh, I think we are eager to get back to live events. I think that we've been extremely creative and adaptive in a COVID world by having these online uh, events. There is still something um, though, some sort of experience I think people have when we all do come together, when we can properly connect and really feel all the emotions. Um, I haven't even, uh, spoken this way you know to somebody actually in person you know to a larger uh audience because I've been in my cohort for I guess uh, 14 months now That's yep. <laughs> like a really just long day yes <laughs> um so even that experience alone so um going along with raising awareness for missing and murder indigenous women they um we have a huge event coming that won't talk about too much in detail because we need to make sure that everything is aligned, just uh, abiding to what is uh, safe for the community to uh, actually come together because we want it to be a uh, in-person, sorry, event, but with the purpose of raising awareness for missing and murdered uh, women and girls, and also helping the survivors um, who may have lost somebody who, helping the, the families, helping raise awareness and, um, yeah, what we can do to really uh, stop the, the issue from actually happening to begin with. That's one thing. <laughs> the other thing would be, um, we're planning our next summit already. Uh, we have the thought that um, we need to start amplifying younger voices. So it's gonna be a next gen. Uh, people in junior high, people in high school, they have very real lived experiences they need to yes. talk about. And um, yeah, the advice that I wish that I could have heard uh, as a teenager, uh, that would be useful, but actually the amount of knowledge that I had as a 16-year-old girl, that, I, that speaks volumes too, I think. Um, I could have educated that time and stepped up more, and maybe if somebody had given me the platform, had offered me uh, that platform, yeah, I would have immersed myself into that. So I want to do that for um, Jesse, and I want to do that for, for the youth uh, who have their stories to share. Um, so that's another aspect. There's there's many things for make it awkward. Just bettering myself as a speaker, getting myself uh, more out there um, into schools, into workplaces, uh, sharing my story, sharing how I think that they could better uh, themselves with inclusion, things like diversity, um, all of these things that corporations and schools are now very interested in. Um, so yeah, we're we're doing a lot of things very fast. <laughs> yes,
0: it's incredible and. I I love that you said like I could have used or I want to help the younger, younger kids or the kids who are 16. And, and I could have used my voice more when I was 16. But I just think you're doing such an incredible job. when you said you were 26. I'm like, Oh, I'm 26 in my heart. And I, I feel like I kind of came into to my purpose of connecting women. And that didn't happen until I was almost 40. And when I look at you and see what you're doing at 26, I'm, I just hope that you are so proud of yourself because it's a big deal and you're doing a lot. And so I'm, I'm just proud to have met you. So
1: thank you so much. Lisa. That makes so welcome. Mm-hmm.
0: How can someone who's listening pick up their, that's not funny. Where do we find it? Uh, Because I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a parent. I think that this is something that would be beneficial to have in every house, in every classroom, in every office. Like this is, these are conversations that we need to have Mm -hmm. on conversations that we should not be having. (laughs) If that, if that makes any sense at all, you know what I mean? Um. So how can, where can we get it? Is there a kickstarter situation happening what's talk to us yes
1: yes so you no know, as of uh now no we've officially hit our um kickstarter fundraising goal already so but that Amazing. definitely doesn't mean we're not saying still support yeah. us because no i'm just directing you to the website now we have yeah. not that funny dot store so directly there um you can uh you can pre-order your game you can find out um, more about the project more about us as creators more about um the direction we also have Uh, a glossary but um, I'm personally very proud of it's about a 70 page document that I've been working on for the past three months probably because I said let's not just give people the game let's make sure if we use a word I really want people to understand um, our definition our uh, way of thinking about that word because something as simple as racism if you open up um, the first dictionary you see in any Uh, bookstore, it's going to be a very different uh, understanding than how I might teach what racism uh, means and how you should be thinking about racism, but it gets even more complicated than that Um, in terms of Caucasian, somebody might think is the more politically correct way to say white, but um, if you refer to my glossary, (laughs) you will understand exactly why no, it's improper to say for many different reasons, including um, how the racist roots and it being geographically improper for people to say because you're not actually near a region in Turkey. So why are you saying you're Caucasian?
0: So yeah, it's much learning. Sorry. It's,
1: well, it's near Turkey, but it's a Caucasus region that you are uh, referring to. If you're actually a Caucasian, that means that you're from a very specific area of the world that not a lot of people are. And it gets further complicated because uh, Caucasian, no, it originally was a label meant for a beautiful and pure and better race and of course that meant white people um, so it was an elitist term and it always was intended as a racist term and why people get uncomfortable uh, with or sorry why people prefer saying Caucasian is first of all they don't know of that i'm making the um you know assumption of their intent but uh, people are uncomfortable saying that they are white, and I find that hilarious <laughs> in a way because we're, if I'm labeling myself as Indigenous or Jesse, for example, is Black. Logically, Black, and then there's White. Why is there? Why is there no yeah. Caucasian? That's not even a word that we could like make sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, um, I never. To be honest, here, here's full disclosure: we're all learning. I, I never thought about that before. Like, and That's I, so great that I just taught you something. You taught me something. Or the new. game is even in your hands. Hundred <laughs> percent. Thank you for that. But it course, also it gets us thinking about things like, oh yeah, why? Why do we say that? Yeah. Why, why are we not saying like black, white? Like where? Where does that come from? And and now like it's, it's knowledge. Knowledge is power.
1: No, absolutely. And that's something actually free that you have, because just like going to the website, I when I say look through my 70 page document, it's not necessarily a homework assignment of like a reference book. It is every word, every definition was put in there with such care, such consideration. And it was not a Webster's dictionary version. No, I wanted you to know the origin. I wanted you to know um, if it is a racially coded language. So for example, thug. thug by definition, it's not a bad word, it's a criminal. Unfortunately, bug, for whatever reason, is only used towards Black people, uh, Black men specifically. Uh, okay, so now it's racially coded. Um, if you don't know what racially coded means, that's okay. Because again, refer to the... Look it <laughs> up. Refer the to the glossary. Yeah. <laughs> but now you know that there's an actual um, even concept. There, there's a word to even describe that. Uh, because somebody, um, I'll say my, one of my family members, who I do love very much. Uh, no, he could not wrap his head around the fact that he couldn't use the word thug as a white man. He, you know, and he's like, no, but Chelsea, on CNN, they do that. (laughs) It gets, you know, it gets further complicated than that. But again, that's a really good example of someone who had best intentions of referring to a dictionary, referring to how he, you know, interpreted that word. Um, And and
0: oftentimes Chelsea, we don't, we don't realize things until someone like you, um, Helps us recognize, and and just shines a light and says like, "Hey, maybe you don't need to know every single word in the seventy-page document, but if you want to do better, if you want to Mm -hmm. know more, this is where you can go." Yeah, I just think it's it's valuable.
1: Absolutely, and and I I can't stress this enough: (laughs) the amount that you will learn, something is and things that you wouldn't think of. So how I would define woman, for example, is now very different than how I would have um, defined it a month ago. And that was something that I didn't think to include in the glossary because I said, woman, okay, but no, there's more to it. <laughs> that one I'll leave as a cliffhanger, but yeah. yeah now, now you have um, us
0: all to your website.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, words words do matter, language is important. And that, again, goes back to not that funny, it goes back to the purpose of the glossary, words do matter, there's a psychological component. Um, to why we should be eliminating words completely out of a lexicon. But before that, people need to know why, um, why they shouldn't be saying those words.
0: Amazing. I'm gonna ask you a few of our wine, women and well-being questions now. Of course. Okay. <laughs> so if you were to sit down and have a conversation, a glass of wine, glass of water, whatever you want it to be, if you were to sit down with one woman who is living or
1: dead who would you like to sit down and have a conversation with? Um, I'm gonna give the answer that first comes to my head. And more than anything, I think, to know, uh, my biological grandmother. Um, and I don't even know if she's dead or alive. And unfortunately, I don't even have access to that. So uh, it's more, I'm not necessarily saying that the desire to meet that person and not saying that um, actually that I even think of her as a grandmother, because I know who my grandmother was, that she was an incredible woman who raised my mother, but um, it's a desire to learn a little bit more about my history, about my ancestry, um, what they would have experienced, because it is important to me to understand uh, what it would be like to be an indigenous woman but an indigenous woman 50 years ago it's very much because of people like my ancestors who had to go through terrible struggles who they should have never had to go uh through of course but and also their resilience and fight for me to have a better life um i would love more than anything to know who she is was and uh yeah just just that a very simple maybe conversation or a conversation that lasts all day i don't know <laughs>
0: It's a great answer. What is your well-being or self-care practice? Um,
1: that's a another good question because I, I recognize that I don't do that enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find that with activism work, it's not work, it's your life. There's no way to actually escape it because on top of that, you're dealing with the lived experience. So mm-hmm. it is hard um, to think of self-care sometimes. And uh, actually, I would even point out specifically with black women, their idea of self-care might be different than my idea of self-care might be different than your idea of um, Mm -hmm. self-care who has the time to escape these hard conversations, to feel safe um, and to just take a, to take a break. Um, I'm not saying that uh, I do it right by not doing it. Absolutely. I recognize that I am not as influential or productive as a person when I don't take those breaks, I do experience the burnout. So I try to take moments of, um, I try to take moments actually of uh, it's still reading, uh, but it's not reading a anti-racism book or a book on enslavement or a book on residential schooling. And Mm -hmm. that comes from my mother who knows my love of reading. And, but she sees the importance of stepping back for a second, Charles, you're okay to read the, uh, the fiction book that you, like the mystery book, for example, that you want to read of course, you know, within that, there's still going to be elements that have to do with race, have to do with gender, um, that I'll be able to pick out on, but, or pick up, sorry, but, um, yeah, more than, (laughs) I guess it would be that.
0: Okay. And so that's a perfect segue to the next question I was going to ask you, which was, what is your favorite book recommendation?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Because- <laughs> and this can <laughs> yeah. be an
0: escape book or this can be a everyone should read this book because it's going to change their life book. Whatever you want to tell us.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, I think if I reread this, this particular book that comes to mind uh, now, I, it would offer me a different perspective, but I think I'm going to go with, uh, it's called The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon. Have you heard of it? I haven't. Or, okay. So, the Curious insect
0: uh, of the Dog in the nighttime.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and why I say that, in, it is important, um, uh, sorry, that I recognize that um, I'm not an autistic individual. This book is written from the perspective of an autistic um, boy. Um, it is written from an author who, uh, is not autistic, but, um, he definitely did his research in terms of interviews, research, research, sorry, a lot of things, um, that, uh, to better his understanding. So, uh, and sorry, just was, uh, reading reviews of autistic individuals. It was interesting, their feeling of, oh my God, somebody actually explained it in a way that others can, um, relate and, Sorry, I'm, I'm saying that because uh, there were some inaccuracies in how he wrote, but that more so has to do with now we have a further understanding mm-hmm. of the autistic uh, spectrum disorder. But that was my first insight of even putting myself, genuinely putting myself in another um, perspective, because a way that people don't think to practice in uh, the skill of empathy is to read fiction books read as many fiction books as you can and put yourself in the perspective of not just the main character about the villain about the mom about the any character imagine the struggles that they are going through so um again I'm not saying this book did everything right but this was the first book that I'd read and even chapter numbers were prime numbers only and that it because that was uh, it was written from the perspective of this boy and he was writing the book because he was told that he should write a book about his experience about this murder that he had witnessed or or sorry this murder that he wanted to solve which was actually a murder of a neighborhood dog and at one point in the book I forgot actually that that was the point of the book because it was a journey of a different way of navigating life for me because that was the best way to get into those shoes and to learn so much about how somebody else could even think about a situation that really opened up my eyes and even just the amount that um this particular boy cared that this dog had been murdered people have the assumption the myth uh that autistic people don't understand um, emotions or empathy that is very much wrong sometimes it's not displayed in the way that you think they are being empathetic but um <laughs> they understand emotions it, it sometimes it's just hard is difficult but their way sometimes of thinking can be very interesting and it's uh, very apparent in the book that no you experience empathy you just you, sometimes you think about things in a very unique way and when I say unique I do not mean bad at all I mean just so fascinating um, it was the first chapter that I had actually uh, been introduced to the Monty Hall, um, problem. Um, yeah, the Monty Hall problem. So the, uh, you're on a game show and there's three doors and two of the doors it's a, they're goats, but one doors, or it's a, uh, car. And it's meant to be actually a mathematical, um, problem, that not a lot of people are able to solve and there's a bit more to it. But, um, I just recently, heard that actually from my dad. And then I had looked, I had spent so much time that week trying to figure it out. And it bothered me so much because I wanted to be that smart kid who was actually good at math at the time to figure it out. And it was interesting that that it happened to come up in that book about a week later. And it was, it was one chapter very quickly written and explained in a way that I understood the very first time that I read it through. And it was because uh, the author had decided to literally put a math equation on the side of the paper and then to refer to a diagram and then to put three bullet points that he like, that just made sense because it was such a black and white issue to him. It was impossible for people to not understand, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that was, you know, interesting. I learned a tough. lot in that book. Full of insight. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> what does sisterhood mean to you?
1: <sighs> sisterhood. Um, Sisterhood, yeah, it means that um, anybody who identifies as a woman or even who is a woman presenting, we're going to have specific struggles uh, that we go through. And uh, as much as I think that we need to focus on perhaps the most intersectional person in the room, when I say that, I mean, let's focus on the Black queer person who happens to be in a wheelchair, who also has an invisible disability, we're not even aware of, something like that. But no, there is strength in feminism alone and sisterhood alone, of course, I might think of that differently in the terms of, um, right away, I think of the hashtag, uh, no more stolen sisters. uh, And that refers to again, missing Mm, and murdered indigenous women. Uh, I will always make the point to mention because it's important (laughs) important that it's talked about, but that's what I think, how many of my sisters couldn't be a part of this community who (laughs) got left behind, unfortunately, because, not us as women in a lot of ways, you know, we're obviously under the influence of a patriarchal society. We're in, you know, we're living in um, a colonial world as well. It is tough to navigate, but uh, sisterhood means having strength and numbers and support. If anything, sometimes we're not going to have good days. We're not going to have moments where men treat us with respect every moment. And sometimes they're not going to be aware maybe, you know, if your partner says something a little off, but, um, but at least we have each other, you know?
0: (laughs) I love that. Exactly. And my last question for you is what advice would you give to your 16-year-old self?
1: I've had the constant struggle with always trying to prove my uh, sense of worth. And thinking back now, society makes it extremely difficult for a young girl to um, feel that she has worth in this world and feel like she has complete potential. So my advice uh, that I would give myself and any other Uh, teenage or young girl listening would be that you do have worth, you do have a voice um, and uh, know to use it.
0: Thank you so much for being with us, Chelsea. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for sharing with us for your vulnerability, for being so honest, and for making changes that we need to make and for helping us get there.
1: Thank you. No, thank you so much for having me again, Lisa. It means a lot. (laughs) And I'm very excited to continue the conversation uh, with you as well.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening, friends.
0: If you like what you've heard, subscribe and recommend us to a friend. Head to winewomenwellbeing.com to find out more about what our community is all about and reach out to us on social media. We'd love to connect. Until next time, stay classy Stay kind.